0: So good morning, Uh, welcome to Cornerstone again, Uh, and yes, happy Memorial Day. Uh, Unfortunately, some people that are self-employed like myself may not get tomorrow off, but that's okay, maybe I will take it off just because I can, but I don't know, my boss is kind of a jerk. Um, So uh, my name's Eugene, I'm one of the elders here, if you don't know who I am, if you're new here, uh, I'm normally back behind the protective shield uh, playing on the drums, uh, but they let me out of my cage this morning because uh, Mike is Mike and Jenny are up in Maine, actually. Uh, they run in one of those uh, live-out-of-your-van vans. I don't know what they're called. Um, and they're, they're traveling around Maine right now, checking out all the scenery up there and uh, seeing how cold it can really be in May, because uh, that's the best place to do that. So anyway, when, uh, when we started talking about doing this series, the I Believe series, and going through the Apostles' Creed, uh, I was excited because not because the microphone keeps hissing at me. Um, I was excited because, uh, you know, my hope as a church and our hope as elders of the church is that all the series that we do, um, you know, open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to what God wants us to know, wants to apply to our lives. But with this one, like, this is really like what we believe. And I think it's cool because, like, we get to see and kind of just hone it down to just a few paragraphs as to what we truly believe. Um, And today I'm going to go through just a small part of that. Um, And also, just so you know, in the first service, not everybody got it, but the Apostles' Creed has nothing to do with Scott Stapp. Nobody knows who Scott Stapp is. Okay, same in second service. Larry knows. There might be a few. Scott Stapp is the lead singer of a band named Creed. So it has nothing to do with the band. If you have to explain it, it's not as funny. It's okay. You can laugh at me if nothing else. So uh, it's kind of awesome to be able to be up here this morning because uh, roughly, I don't know the exact date because I stink at remembering things, um, but roughly 25 years ago around this time is when I accepted Christ for the first time in my life. Uh, It was just a crazy moment. I was young doing a lot of dumb things, Um, but my mom had uh, bugged me, my sister, to uh, come to church, and so finally just to shut her up, you know, I went, and then I kept going and kept hearing the message, and finally one Sunday night, uh, the Holy Spirit just got a hold of me and pushed me up front, Um, and it hasn't been the same since. Uh, And actually, probably a year, maybe more, into being at that church, uh, it was just a little tiny... Southern Baptist Church in Pennsylvania, I know, ironic, Um, but the pastor had asked me to actually uh, preach a message on a Sunday night. He didn't trust me enough to do Sunday morning, but Sunday night was okay to fill in for him. I actually, somewhere, I tried to find it, I actually still have the cassette, yes, I said cassette, of the message uh, from that time, and I have, in 25 years, I have never listened to it, and I probably never will. So maybe one day my children will find it and find a cassette player somewhere. Uh, I actually still have my old Walkman, so maybe that would work. But um, Yes, Walkman, you put the cassette player, you put the headphones. Okay. Anyway, for the younger people in the room. uh, So today's message isn't a typical one. Normally I like to uh, grab stuff out and tell tell a bunch of stories and make it humorous. Um, But being that we're going to be talking about what we're talking about, uh, that's not really going to be the case. But I know we'll make our way through it. Um I've already done it once, you guys haven't. So we'll be all right. So let's first go into the Apostles' Creed and read through that. So it says I believe in God, the Father almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our lord, who was conceived by the holy spirit, born of the virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Big C Church, uh, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So the part that we're going to talk about today was just a simple line in there. It says, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Those very simple things to say, but there's a whole lot in that. So we're going to go through that today. Um, So how many people in the room have ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? It's been a long time since it was out. Um, But if you've never seen it, uh, it's kind of a big budget movie based about the story of Good Friday, the crucifixion of Christ. It was uh, Mel Gibson was the director. He was big, you know, Braveheart. If you've ever seen that, that's Mel Gibson. Um, He made this movie. He went in and like went into the fine details of everything. And let me tell you, everything about the crucifixion was in there, and it was, it was a rough movie to watch in the theater. It was very, very emotional. If you've watched it, it changes you, period. Uh, it, it brings it to a whole new light. Um, but before we go into that story about the crucifixion, I want to talk about the Old Testament um, and about some of the prophecies. So Mike kind of hit on that last week about how there were so many prophecies in the Old Testament that led and talked about Christ being the Messiah. So I wanted to go a little mathy, nerdy on this one. Um, and so I found, I found the story, and I might have talked about this before, but I actually found the story this time uh, so I can give full details. It says a professor at Westmont College figured out the numbers on it and the chances of Christ fulfilling even just eight of the 300 plus that he actually fulfilled. It was one, the chances were one to 10 to the 17th power, Yeah, I don't know how to finish that sentence. It was 1 to 10 to 17th power. So I wanted to show you, if you don't know how many zeros that is, it's a lot. So I printed it off, killed a half a tree. That's how many zeros. The odds are 1 to this. So if you've ever played the lottery, stop, you shouldn't play the lottery. But if you understand odds, you know, that's what it is, 1 to this, which is just crazy. And another way that he talked about it was that if you take this many silver dollars, right, you lay them across the state of Texas, which we all know Texas is huge. It's probably 10 plus hours across. I've driven it. It's horrible. Um, But it's a very large state, right? So you take and you lay them all out and it's two foot high, stacks two foot high across the entire state. You mark one of them, mark one of them with a marker And then you shuffle them all up, you send somebody in blindfolded, tell them to go as far as they want, and they have to pick out just one. That one with the marker on it. That's the chances of Christ fulfilling just eight, just eight of the prophecies in the Old Testament. Now, think about that. He fulfilled over 300. So the chances of him doing that are just ridiculous. And it it baffles me that the Jewish leaders of the time, like, they didn't get it, right? So they knew the scriptures, they have been reading them since they were young, since they could read. You know, they grew up in it, they were around it, they knew all the scriptures, they knew who the Messiah was supposed to be. But who they thought he was supposed to be was this like ruler that was coming in to take over and overthrow the government. All of this, but Jesus was like, No, that's you know, God's like, That's not what we're doing here. And Jesus came in as a humble servant and came in, still led a sinless life, but it was completely different than what the Jewish leaders think. That thought that he was going to be. And the thing about it is, is also, like, we do the same thing, right? We, uh, you know, we have all the technology today. We have the Bible on our phones. We have how many Bibles in our house that have dust on them, right? We know all, uh, we hopefully know that there's 66 books in the Bible, right? You see the Old Testament, you see the New Testament, you can see all the prophecies fulfilled. And yet we, in this day, in the technology that we have, still do not really understand the, the concept of what Christ did when he came to the earth. So, I'm going to talk about just one of them for now. Uh, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So, does this sound familiar? Obviously, it does. It's talking about Jesus and the crucifixion and what he went through. Um, you know, now, we're, now we can move forward. We've read that, we know that's talking about Christ. So, now let's move forward into Mark, uh, Mark 15, verses 1 through 5. That's where we're going to start. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. I apologize. But I made the text big for everybody in the back. You can see it real far. Actually, I didn't mean to make it that big. Um, So it says, very early in the morning, the leading priest, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Which Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all of these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. So Jesus was brought into Pilate by the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, all of these guys, and, the, and people of the Sanhedrin, uh, which we'll talk, that, talk about that a little later. Um, and Pilate asked him if he's the king of the Jews, which, you know, Jesus, I don't know if he was being snarky, with this, he was being a little sarcastic or if he was just answering him, but he said, you've said it, you know. I've seen, I've read other scriptures and how Jesus talked to the disciples. Uh, he used a little bit of snarkiness at times just to straighten him out, you know. Um, but the thing, you know, they, they kept, they kept like yelling at him, screaming at him, saying all these things that he, he is blasphemed and that he isn't the son of God and he shouldn't be saying this. And we all know that Jesus was who he said he was. We know that now, right? And Jesus, even more so, knew who he was. He knew he was exactly who all of the prophecies had said he was. And so I just think about, like, the fact that at any given time, he could have gotten out of the, the, the bindings that he was tied up with. He was Jesus, right? He could have gone off. He had every right to go off on them. He could have flipped tables, right? He's done that. We've seen it. We've read about it. You know, he he could have that righteous anger, but he chose not to. And that's point one. Jesus chose to be silent because he knew the Father's will. So I'm going to go back to Isaiah for a second, uh, chapter 53, verse 7. It says, he was opposed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. So, like, it just that's prophecy number two, maybe three, that I've said so far. Uh, so, let's keep reading back in Mark now. We're going to go verses 6 through 20. So, it's going to be a long one, but just keep reading. It says, Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone that the people requested, which is just crazy to me. Um, one of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, he, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews, Pilate asked, for he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at, but at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd "...to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus." Pilate asked them, "...then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews?" And they shouted back, "...crucify him." Why, Pilate demanded, "...what crime has he committed?" But the mob roared even louder, "...crucify him." So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to him. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified." The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified." So as we saw, it was customary for the ruler, the governor, Pilate, to let one person go, right? And so Pilate figured, this is an easy out. I don't have to release one of these crazy prisoners back out. And so he offers up Jesus. But they wouldn't take it, right? The high priests and all of the scribes and all those people in there were just pushing the people to say, no, we want Barabbas. And that's crazy. I don't think I'd be chanting for a murderer to be let back out. Just saying, that's just me, right? Now, the next part of what Pilate said to do was to flog him. And if those in the room that remember the movie, The Passion of the Christ, this is the scene that sticks with me, that has stuck with me forever. Like, not, the crucifixion was, was brutal, don't get me wrong. But, like, the whipping of Jesus was, like, something that I will just, it's embedded in there. Like, it, there was a reason that the movie was rated R, and it wasn't for you know, normal rated R things. It was because it depicted it exactly how it happened. And it was, it was tough. It was bloody. It was gruesome. Um, but anyway, they, after, after they flog him, they take him, they strip him of his clothes, which, uh, which it was a very shameful thing to do in Jewish custom. Like you don't, you know, you're not naked in front of other people, except for who you're married to. Right. Um, put a purple robe on him and a crown of thorns, which is symbolic to the thorns, I think, to uh, the thorns that grew in the Garden of Eden after, you know, after they sinned, after Adam and Eve sinned. You know, it's kind of a representation of a crown of thorns upon his head. Then they even saluted him, bowed down to him, and mocked him. And it says, when they were tired of mocking him. Now, remember that the whole regiment, the whole group of soldiers was in there. So I don't know how many that is. It doesn't give a specific number, but I'm sure it was a lot. And it said when they got tired of mocking him, which could have been 10 minutes. It could have been, you know, a couple hours. We don't know uh, how long they were doing it. But it just, it's crazy to me how, like, just the mental part of it, the physical part of it, of what Christ was going through. And to think about, like, I don't know if you guys have ever had a wound that's open and then you put a piece of cloth on it, you put your shirt on it or whatever, even like gauze and then the gauze sticks and you have to peel it back off. It's not a pleasant thing, right? And that's something else they were doing. They were taking his clothes off and they put the robe on him. then they took the robe off, put his clothes back on them, and then they took the clothes back off when they put him on the cross, right? It's just like unbearable, excruciating pain this entire time. So we're going to move on uh, to verses 24 through 39. It says, Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece, which was another prophecy fulfilled. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. So these guys were murderers. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. We'll talk about them in a little bit. Um, But at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and forgive my pronunciation of this pronunciation, Eloi, (inaudible) Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes down to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. So verse 24, where we began, It it begins with simple words that mean so much that Jesus was nailed to the cross. The soldiers had had done that. They they brought but before this they had brought him up through the town. Even had Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross for Jesus for a bit. But now he's here, lying on his back that was just tore up, beaten with the whip, right, and he's laying on the dirt, and they they nailed through his wrists into the cross. And then they flip him over, this is portrayed in the movie anyway, they flip him over to make sure the nails don't come back out. And that one, yeah, just hurts. Um, you know, he has, it, they, they put him up on the cross, they nail his feet into it. So I mean, he's just, he's suffering, like you've got the, the wood on the back, the splinters in his back, like just the thorns, the, the nails, everything. Everyone around him mocking, is mocking him. So he has the physical abuse, but he's also having like, the emotional abuse, the, the people just tearing him down, wagging their heads at them, at him, telling him to get down off the cross if he, if he is who he says he is. But little did they know or understand, because of who Jesus is, that he had to stay on the cross, right? Now, could he have had angels come down and take him off of there? Absolutely. We see in uh, Mark 4.11... So this is the end of where Jesus had been out in the desert. He was, you know, had, had gone 40 days uh, of fasting, and then the devil came to, t- came to tempt him. And after the devil went away, angels came and took care of Jesus. So the angels can come and take care of the physical Jesus here on earth. So we know that the angels could have come and taken him off the cross. I mean, Jesus with his power could have done it himself. Right? He could have made the ground quake and he could have gotten off there. Like he could have done it in so many different ways. But point number two, he chose to stay on the cross. <clears throat> Why? Because that was his father's will. Then at noon, three hours after he was hung on the cross, the sky went dark. And then Jesus still stayed on for another three hours, struggling for breath battling with the pain, the thoughts, and know, but knowing that was the Father's will for him. The feeling of separation from God, right? Jesus had never felt sin. He was Jesus. He was in heaven. And then he came down here and lived a sinless life for 33 years. But now he feels not just sin, but like the sin of everybody that's ever been and everybody that is to come, to take that weight upon himself and then that separation from his father that he's never felt in all of eternity, right? That was a long time. He's never felt that separation from his father. But here he is doing that for us. And it says at three o'clock, Jesus let out a final plea saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they mocked him even more, asking him who he was calling out for. He yelled out one last time, and he breathed his last breath. And when this happened, it it notes in other Gospels uh, that there was an earthquake. And then the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Top to bottom, right? And what that represented was that then, okay, in the temple, there was the normal area where, like, the priest could be, but then behind the veil was the Holy of Holies, the place where only a high priest could go, and only if he was righteous. Right, If he goes in there and he's not righteous, he dies. They would tie a rope to his foot. So if he dies, yeah, put bells on him. So if he dies, they hear him hit, they pull the rope, pull him back out. Like this was a place you just didn't wander into. But Jesus went on the cross so that we can. So that we can have that communication with God. Right? It's no need for a priest anymore. Jesus is our high priest. And there's no need to add anything. Yet the thing is that we still do, right? We think that, that we need a subscription to Jesus plus, right? We don't need a subscription to add anything to Jesus. Jesus was it and all for everything, right? We think that, you know, some people say karma, right? Good things and bad things. There's no karma, okay? God's not up there making a checklist of what we're doing right and wrong, If you do good things, that's amazing. You know, you're going to get a bubbly feeling inside, and and, and we're supposed to go and tell people about Jesus. Yes, do good things. But if we're doing bad things, you know, it's going to bring bad consequences, but it's, you know, that's not what it's about. It's not about a checklist, it's about Jesus and what he did. So going to church, singing songs in your car, uh, reading your Bible every day, understanding deep theology, being baptized, going on mission trips, taking communion, tithing. None of those things are about Jesus. They don't need to be added to what Jesus has done. So why do we do them? Why do we do those things? Why do we get baptized, right? Uh, Because I think it's two things, one of two things. It either reminds you that you cannot do this life on your own, or you're giving the ability for others to see around you, to see what Jesus has done and to see how that we can live a life with him. That's why we do those things. Being baptized, I mean, shows that, you know, shows your it represents the new life in Christ. And you're showing the world that you've done that. That doesn't get you saved. That just shows the world that you are. Shows the world who you belong to. Uh, another explanation for this, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of My Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So I think when we add that plus to what Jesus did, I think that we're allowing our arrogance and our pride to get in the way to think that we could do something to add to what Jesus has done. Uh, you know, he was the absolute atonement for our sins. In First John 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So if you haven't gathered by now, I'll put it up on the screen, point three. Uh, there's nothing more needed than Jesus. Jesus, period. So we're going to move on uh, with the story going back to Mark 15. We're going to read verses 42 through 46. It says, this all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath, and evening, as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, because normally they'd suffer for a lot longer than that. Um, but the, the officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph that he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in the tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. So, I noticed that it mentioned this guy Joseph in there, and if the Bible mentions something, there's a reason behind it, right? I would think so, and hopefully you do too, because um, I dove into it. So uh, we saw here, you know, Jesus or Joseph, sorry, Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. So he knew that Jesus was coming; he believed that the Christ was coming, uh, and he was part of what was called the Sanhedrin. And so I wanted to find out what Sanhedrin was, uh, which I'd heard the term, but, you know, I don't always dig. Uh, it was the Supreme Court of ancient Israel. It was made up of 70 men and the high priest. In the second temple period, the great Sanhedrin met in the temple in Jerusalem. The court con- convened every day except festivals and on the Sabbath, of course, because nobody could, if you were Jewish, you couldn't uh, do anything on the Sabbath. The Sanhedrin, as, as a body, claimed powers that lesser Jewish courts did not have. As such, they were the only ones who could try the king or extend the boundaries of the temple in Jerusalem and were the ones, this is important, to whom all questions of law were finally put. So like they knew all the law. And in the New Testament, the Sanhedrin is best known for their part, you know, obviously what we've been talking about in the mock trials that resulted in the crucifixion of Jesus. The Sanhedrin be- began with an informal examination of Jesus before Annas, the acting high priest, followed by a formal session before the entire Sanhedrin. There the decision was made then to turn Jesus over to the Roman authorities to be tried and crucified. So, Joseph was there. I'm assuming Joseph was there when Jesus was being tried. When, he was, when all of this stuff was being said about him. And one obviously could assume that he was against it all, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't give that in Scripture. But if he was looking for the kingdom to come, and then he goes and asks for Jesus' body, it's you know, to me, kind of obvious that he believed that Christ was who he said he was. Or maybe he was questioning it still. Maybe he was going to put him in the grave to see, you know, if Jesus' claims came true. I don't know. It doesn't give us those details. Um, but that's okay. Um, but it was cool because he was bold enough. He was bold enough to step out because all of his people that were in the Sanhedrin, the high priests and all of those people, like, that's not a good thing to be like. Okay, I'm gonna go get Jesus's body and go put it over here. To have anything to do with Jesus after that point was probably a big fat no-no. And to go in front of Pilate to ask for that, you know, to be able to go to the governor and like step in there and be like, hey, can I, you know, can I get that? That was probably uh, a little nerve-wracking to do so. Um, he probably had a target on his back after that. So, this is how we're gonna end this part of the Apostle Cre- Apostle's Creed. Um, Mike's obviously gonna go and continue into that next week. With the good part of this, obviously the, the crucifixion is sad, but next week uh, we get to hear about Jesus rising. I spoiled it. You're welcome. Um, so uh, <clears throat> there's a song that came out around Easter time uh, that was by a guy named Maddie Mullins. You, there, I think there was one person in first service that actually heard of him. It's okay if you haven't. He's a vocalist for a metal band, um, and he sang. Uh, he wrote this song in Easter called Nails. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to play it this morning. I'm just going to write or read some of the lyrics for you because it just kind of sums it up in my mind. It says, Where was the army of angels when the crowd yelled out, Crucify? And how could a last breath be taken by the one whose breath becomes life? All my guilt, all my shame, the nails that pierced you bore my name. The Father's face turned away. Nothing made sense that day. But now I see it was your love for me. Holding you on that tree, it wasn't the nails. You chose the death of a sinner to give me the life of a saint. And you left the heights of the heavens to show me the depths of your grace. You took my guilt, you took my shame. Now resurrection bears my name. By your blood I've been saved. Nothing could stand in your way. Now I see it was your love for me, holding you on that tree. It wasn't the nails. Because with one word, you could have stopped the hurt. But it was your love your grace, your mercy holding you there. It wasn't the nails. So I know when I was 18 or 19, when I first accepted Christ, that I didn't fully understand a whole lot of it or any of it for that matter. Uh, When I was young, I went to church, didn't understand really any of it. I knew, you know, they talked about this Jesus guy, but didn't know a whole lot about him. And even, you know, started going back to church. I, I heard a little bit, knew a little bit, but didn't understand, you know, I I don't even know if I had a Bible at that point. Um, no, I know I didn't. Who am I kidding? Um, but I knew that Christ was calling me that night. I knew that he got a hold of my heart. I knew the Holy Spirit was pushing me to go up front to accept Christ as my Savior that night, even though I didn't understand really any of it. So you know who else didn't understand any of it? It was the thief hanging next to Jesus. So let's, we're going to read that scripture. It's in Luke. Uh, But I need water first. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. They were similar to Barabbas. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. So it shows that you don't have to understand all of the stuff. All you have to know is who Jesus is. And the simple parts of it. You know, that he, you know, man was separated from God in the beginning with Adam and Eve, They sinned and created this separation between us and God, and Jesus came to fill that gap so that we can be in heaven with him. And that's not just our, uh, you know, get out of hell free card, right? It's not just about that. It's about that, like, we can live this life walking next to him. We can live this life with him through the valleys, because life we know is not full of rainbows and jelly beans, right? Right? Not all of, we're not always on a mountaintop. There's valleys that we go through. There's garbage that happens in this life because it is a sinful world that we live in. But Jesus promises that if you accept him, that he will walk with you every single day and he will not leave you or forsake you. So today I hope that you've understood who Jesus really is. If you don't, you know, if you don't understand that Jesus is the one, just so you know, Jesus is the one that created you and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know that there is better life than what we're doing on our own. So just as I did when I was 25, you know, I hope that you can do the same today. And maybe, maybe, but maybe you've already been saved. Maybe you've been saved for 25 years. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. But maybe there was one point in your life that you accepted Christ as your personal Savior and your Lord. But maybe this message brought you back to that point of remembering when Jesus saved you. When the Holy Spirit called you, nudged you, and you accepted him into your life. Maybe you've strayed away for a little bit. Maybe you've walked away for whatever reason. You know, life's things get in the way sometimes of our focus of Christ. But hopefully this message in the scripture this morning um, has, has been a reminder to you. So, let's pray. Lord, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you for all that you've done, all that you are, and all that you forever, forever will be, Lord. Thank you for seeing the need that even in the midst of our stupidness, that we, you know, we need a Savior. We need, uh, we need a Lord of our life to, to guide us through these days. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there's somebody here that has never talked to you at all, ever, Lord, that today would be that day. They would understand who you are. They would see what you've done and know that it's just, it's time. It's time to relinquish that, those strings of what they're holding on to, Lord. If it's, or if it's somebody that's known you, like I said for a while, Lord, I pray that, um, that they still release the strings that are holding on to those things that hold us back from chasing after you. Let us just turn to you and run to you with everything that we have. Just thank you for all things in Christ's name. Amen.